This evening we're looking at Psalm 100. The title of my sermon is Make a Joyful Noise Unto the Lord. This evening we're going to look at a psalm that despite having just five (coughs) verses ought to stir the spirit of all the redeemed of the Lord to sing his praises with hearts that are filled with joy and with thanksgiving. The authorship of Psalm 100 is not given, you may have noticed that, and is so, as is so often the case, that has given rise to speculation by various Bible commentators. Also, the Arabic Bible ascribes Psalm 100 to David, which seems very plausible. As for who the subject of Psalm 100 is, so never mind who the pen man is, who is the psalm about? This is what Luther says. This psalm is a prophecy concerning Christ. As soon as I read what Luther said, I reread Psalm 100, didn't take me long, it's just five verses. I reread Psalm 100, substituting Christ for Lord, and what Luther said made perfect sense to me. For example, just take a look at verse 3 there. Luther says that the psalm is about Christ, okay. How about we substitute Christ for Lord? Know ye that Christ, he is God. It is he that have made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Fits perfectly, doesn't it? Fits perfectly. Even before we come to that verse and take a closer look at it, I trust that all of you who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ know him as your shepherd. And your heart is filled with thanksgiving because you are the sheep of his pasture and you praise him for that glorious truth. Let's have a look at verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. In the very first verse, there is a call to all ye lands, or all the earth, to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Therefore, even when this psalm was written, and if David was the pen man, that would have been about a thousand years before the word was made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ was born, It's very clear that even then, that Jehovah God, the Lord, is not just the God of Israel. Because verse 1, it says there, it says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. That's the whole world. We see that to be the case in other Old Testament prophecies, that... Jehovah God is not just the God of Israel. For example, in Isaiah chapter 49, and there are many others, but Isaiah chapter 49, which is also about the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6, it is written, 
It is a light thing that thou, thou being Jesus, should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. So what I'm getting at there is it's not just something that was dreamed up uh, when we come to the pages of the New Testament that God, the Lord, Jehovah God, is the God of Gentiles as well as Jews. This is very clearly seen in prophecy. And indeed there were Gentiles who became believers in Jehovah, in the Lord, in the Old Testament times. One godly Jew who understood very well that Jehovah God is the God of all lands was Simeon, who held and beheld baby Jesus when he was in the temple in Jerusalem. And he said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So that man Simeon holding baby Jesus in his hands, holding him, beholding the face of God, and he recognised that Jesus is a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. And since this psalm calls the whole earth to make a joyful noise, it is prophetic and it is looking ahead to these last days when people from the far reaches of the earth are being brought to repentance and saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by the grace of God. I say that because in the Old Testament times it wasn't as if the whole earth was praising the Lord, the God of the Bible. But this is something that is happening now, in our times, in these last days. People from across the the far reaches of the earth, including each one of you here, who are trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin, have every reason to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Look at verse 2. The Lord is great in Zion and he is high above all the people. Whatever the Lord's people do in their born again lives, they do as unto the Lord. Whether it be wives submitting to their husbands or slaves to their masters, whatever we do, we do as unto the Lord. Service includes acts of compassion towards brethren, even the least of them, such as feeding hungry Christians, giving them something to drink when they're thirsty, opening your home to visiting Christians. And I'm thinking uh, in particular of, or especially missionaries, visiting missionaries, clothing those who are in need, visiting the sick and those who are in prison. Serving the Lord includes those things and whatever it is that you are doing in service to the God of your salvation, do it gladly as you count your manifold blessings, such as the forgiveness of all your iniquities. Also, when all 
all of you have who have a saving knowledge of the Lord, sing hymns and spiritual songs to him, and you do so with joy and thanksgiving in your heart, that too is seen to be service unto the Lord. Singing his praises is service unto the Lord. Consider the Apostle Paul and his travelling companion Silas when they were put in the stocks in a prison in Philippi. We're told in Acts chapter 16 and verse 25 that at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. Let's face it. Let's face it. Since they were in the stocks, there was nothing they could do other than to sing God's praises. That was their act of worship. That was their reasonable service unto the Lord, singing his praises. If Paul and Silas could and did sing praises to God when they were in a dungeon, surely we ought to be be able to make a joyful noise unto the Lord in service to him when we meet up in our church services. For worthy, oh worthy, is the Lord to be thanked and praised and worshipped and adored. We'll have a look at verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that have made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. The Bible teaches that in the beginning, God made the various creatures after their kind. As for human beings, on the sixth and final day of creation, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Even so, any UK school or nursery in receipt of state funding is not allowed to teach creation as fact or science, and that includes church schools. That alone must surely be a reason for church schools to refuse state funding, I would say. Even private schools are not allowed to teach creationism as fact or present it as having a similar or superior evidence base to scientific theories, so-called scientific theories. What is being encouraged from primary school age is children being taught evolution as a comprehensive and coherent scientific theory in our schools, and evolution lessons and uh, plans and tests are freely available and can be downloaded free from university websites. One such lesson informs us that it is easy to see evolution as a big ladder with humans, homo sapiens, at the top. It then corrects that easy-to-see view by saying that evolution produces a, a tree and not a ladder. According to the university that produced the material, we are just one of many leaves on the tree.
This is what our academics are producing for our schools. That we're leaves on a tree. If ever you wondered what God says about the atheistic academics who compile the evolutionary lesson plans and the many so-called atheists who have embraced evolution, the answer to that one can be found in Psalm 14 and verse 1 where it is written, The fool have said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Did you hear all of that? They are fools. In other words, they are stupid. They are senseless. Also, they are wicked. As to why they are fools, the Apostle Paul explains in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 that the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I was talking about this this morning, wasn't I? Creation itself, the the things that have been made, they speak of the handiwork of Almighty God. The fact of the matter is that, as David said in Psalm 19 and verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament or the sky showeth his handiwork. We can safely assume that both King David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, and the Apostle Paul were not evolutionists. They were creationists. As far as I'm concerned, the Lord Jesus Christ is not the product of evolution He is not one of many leaves on a tree. The Son of God is a descendant of the first man, Adam, according to his humanity and according to the genealogy of Jesus in Luke chapter 3 and verse 38. Make no mistake about it, far from being a secondary issue, evolution is evil. So much so that I won't even have Christian fellowship with professing Christians who hold to so-called theistic evolution, where God is said to have started the evolutionary process. Coming back to Psalm 100 and verse 3, the writer plainly says, He made us. Know ye that the Lord, he is God, it is he that have made us. For that reason alone, instead of denying the very existence of God or cursing God's holy name, as they hold to the evolutionary lie, everyone ought to bow low before their maker in humble adoration. But you know what? The time will come when all the nations will be gathered before the Lord Jesus Christ, when he shall come in his glory and the holy angels with him. Then let anyone claim to be an evolutionist and say that there is no God when they're standing face to face with God. You'll notice that I don't separate the existence of God and him being the creator and neither does the Bible. The two go together. The Lord is the creator God. As for the Lord Jesus Christ, we've already considered that 
like the rest of us. He is a descendant of Adam according to his humanity. But also, as God, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Although hopefully I've made it clear that all people of the world are God's creative handiwork, whether they like it or not. Verse 3 is in fact declaring something that applies only to the sheep of his pasture. Calvin explains that the psalmist is referring to that spiritual regeneration by which he creates anew his image in his elect, in his chosen ones. Believers are the persons whom the prophet here declares to be God's workmanship, not that they were made men in their mother's womb. We're all made men or women in our mother's womb, but that is not what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 3. He's talking about the sheep of the pasture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is referring to all who are trusting in Jesus as their saviour from sin and who know him as their good shepherd. They are people who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. David has something to say about the sheep of his pasture in Psalm 23 verse 2, where he says of the Lord who is his shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is his shepherd, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. As such, David was not even eating the green pastures. He was lying down in them. And it was his shepherd who made him to lay down in the green pastures. That describes the soul that is full and wants for nothing. It is a soul that is resting in sweet fellowship with Jesus and feeding on his word, his word which is truth. The Lord himself having brought about that blissful and peaceful condition for a once emaciated soul. Looking at verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And be thankful unto him and bless his name. Who do you imagine enters the Lord's gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise? Do you imagine that everyone in the world is doing that? Entering into the the Lord's gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise? Of course not. Absolutely not. Who might be thankful unto the Lord and kneel down? before him as they bless his name. They are none other than the sheep of his pasture, people who have been loved by God and they have been adopted as sons of God through faith in the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. As to when God set his love upon them, well, it's an everlasting love, as can be seen in another psalm, Psalm 65 and verse 4. Where David says, blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. So 
the people who enter into the gates of the Lord and into the courts, into his courts with praise, quoting Psalm 100 verse 4, they are the ones whom God chooses in Psalm 65 verse 4. I say it again, blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causes to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts, according to Psalm 65 and verse 4. That choice was made before the foundation of the world. As Paul explained to the Ephesian Christians concerning himself and them, and most certainly all of you in here who are in Christ Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he have chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he have made us accepted in his beloved. According to the good pleasure of Almighty God, he have chosen us in his Son to be holy and without blame before him in love. And we are accepted now and forevermore in the Beloved, in the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the ones whom God has chosen to enter into his courts and to sing his praise. And so it is that with thanksgiving in your heart, you bless God's holy name as you enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by which you are sanctified and you stand before God adorned in the righteousness of Christ your Saviour. Verse 5. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. The Lord is good. There was a rich young ruler who called Jesus good master. Whereupon Jesus said to him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is God. That was not a denial by Jesus that he is God. Rather it was a rebuke directed at a man who merely sought to flatter Jesus with a complimentary term reserved for God even though he did not believe Jesus to be God. Also, what Jesus said to that man ought to dismiss any idea that you might be clinging to that you are essentially good. You're not. None of us are. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none good. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. On the other hand, how good is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ? 
we see, uh, looking at verse 5 again, the Lord is good. I've already said the Lord is Jehovah Jesus, the good shepherd. How good is the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus gives the answer to that one in John chapter 10, verse 11, where he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. Throughout all generations, there have been many people who have put on Christ, having been baptised into him. And that includes most of you who are here this evening. You must surely know a thing or two about the mercy of God, in that your soul has been delivered from hell's destruction. You know Jesus, who is the truth, and the truth has made you free. That freedom applies equally to all who belong to Jesus, including the brethren who are in chains for Christ's sake and awaiting martyrdom in various parts of the world, even as I speak. They too are free from the penalty of sin and death will do no more than mark their entrance into the presence of their great God and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he that have made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And to int- and into his courts with praise. Even as I read that verse 4, we are seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, we who belong to Jesus. We enter into the holiest by the, we enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us. That is to say, through the veil which is his flesh. So we enter into the into God uh, the, into his courts with praise according to verse 4. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Amen. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen.